Hello and welcome back to an early morning episode of DSLR Film New Podcast with Planet Mitch, Mitch from Planet 5D and myself, of course, DJ from DSLRFilmNoob.com. We are here. It's been quite a while since we've had Mitch on the show. He's a busy, busy man. And myself, of course, I've been out shooting and whatnot too, so our schedules just haven't lined up. But Mitch, it's been a month. What have you been up to, man? It's it's the alignment of the planets, you know, how that has to be. Alignment of the planets. See, see, we got to get it in there. Here's, here's my sound bite. There you go. Planet 5D rocks. Thanks for having me, DJ. It's been a long time. Hey, let's talk about NAB. Okay, well, before we get into the show notes, because their show notes are all over the place, tell me what you loved at NAB, because I haven't gotten your take on NAB this year. Uh, number one thing that I saw, of course, I have to say, is people had an absolute blast talking to people. I did not get enough time to talk to you and Devin. I was kind of disappointed in that. Every time I saw you, you were really busy. So I was like, well, give Mitch his time to what well, you, you know, you should have really cut me off in that last place we saw each other. And I'll talk about that off. <laughs> I mean, she was just going on and on. And I'm like, somebody save me. Save me. You're starting to do that nervous, like looking around. <laughs> Not paying attention. Yeah, yeah. It's all that uh, business. Um, the coolest thing, and you know, it's really hard to get around and see everything. Uh, there are, and it's kind of like after the show, I start watching some of the videos that everybody produces, and I'm like, oh, I wish I'd seen that. Uh, but the Edelkrone, uh, they call it the Jib Plus. Okay. The, did you see? Did you get to see that one? Yeah, that's the jib with the uh, point of access following system, so yeah. it can I detect was... points in space and track them. Correct. The, the folks from Andra, and I don't know if you remember them. They have a a tracking thing, but you have to wear it. The 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 talent has to actually wear it. Um, yes. And I don't know if you remember. You maybe you saw that last year or the year. I actually before. have a unit that does tracking like this. And it's made by Swivel. And uh, you wear a little pin in your pocket, and it also has a wireless audio transmitter that's built into that. So it'll broadcast the audio back to the base, and then the base will go into your camera. Uh, But it's it's battery-powered, and it's only meant for smaller cameras. Their jib looked like it could handle a lot of weight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But the Andro thing, though, I think that's like 10 grand. Holy crap. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, which is why they were back in the corner this year, I think. I don't know that they've sold many of them. And anyway, so the Edelkron was was really awesome. Really enjoyed that. Those guys are very, very thought-provoking in the products they're creating, and, and they're not currently sponsoring me or anything. So, Did you see their wacky uh, necklace? Oh, yeah, I got one. It's, it's around here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got one laying around as well there. It's a magnetic uh, device that goes on the back of your phone and allows you to point your phone downward uh, at whatever your hands are doing. So it's sort of like a POV cam holder for your phone. So instead of holding your phone up like this, you can just place it at neck level and then work on things with your hands and film that accordingly. Kind of a cool concept. I think they're, what, like 20 bucks? They were 29 uh, I have a magnet on the back of my phone, if you can see, if you're watching on video. The little round circle is the magnet that goes with the POV. They call it POV. I, I went to put it on my uh, Samsung Galaxy S7, and my phone went wacko. <laughs> 
So apparently there's some sort of magnetic sensor inside of this guy that oh, wow. uh, that detects that magnet when it's uh, touched to it and turns it into some sort of cradle mode or it's, you know, some kind of adapter oh, thing. I don't know. So I, unfortunately, I haven't been able to get it. And I have an HTC uh, M8 and M10 at the house as well. And neither one of those would support it without going crazy. So uh, I guess as an Android user, I am SOL on that lovely device. Uh, did you see the uh, Nebula uh, 4100 jib, uh, or excuse me, stabilizer? No. Okay. Uh, it, go look for videos of that. It's a five-axis uh, stabilizing system for your camera that has a standard sort of spring system in the handles and then a three-axis gimbal-style stabilizer in the center. So you can hold on to the sides, and the springs actually stabilize your up-and-down walking motion while the three-axis gimbal stabilizes the camera body itself. Huh. Really sexy. They were kind of hidden way back there in the, you know, when you get past the B&H booth and it sort of turns into all Chinese companies that you've never heard of? Yeah, yeah. Yes, they, they were hidden back there huh. in the, the far back corner. There was actually a lot of, of little gems back there. What else did you find at NAB, Mitch? Um... God, you're catching me. I, I haven't really thought about NAB in weeks. Um, 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 I got to see the rig wheels stabilizer, the magnetic thing that goes on the car. Did you get to see that one? That was, uh, kind of was that the attachment for like uh, action cams and so on, on like hoods and trunks and, and whatnot? Not only action cams, but it goes all the way up to the heavy duty reds and everything else. I mean, it's, oh, wow. Yeah, it's a big unit and... The fact that, that it's magnetic makes so much sense to me, although, of course, it scares you because you think scratches and stuff, but the magnetic, the magnetics, the magnets, <laughs> <laughs> it's Friday morning, boy, I can tell it's going to be a doozy. Uh, the magnets are incredibly strong, and you can attach as many as you think you need, and it's, it's, it's really nice, and, and they had a, a red actually on a hood, there in the back and you could shake it and move it and it it's incredibly powerful and it the fact that you can attach it with magnets means that you don't have those sick silly suction cups that you yeah. ump and you know it just it seems to make so much more sense than the than those because the suction cups everybody's nervous about suction cups right <laughs> you never know how long that thing i mean my bathroom i've got one of those suction cup things for the shower you know and it, the thing's constantly falling down so you, you get nervous about suction cups over time i think and magnets you know a magnet's gonna hold right well i hope so is it <laughs> is it electromagnetic or is it uh, one of the ones with the like uh, travel arm that picks the magnet up from the base neither it's just a magnet Very oh so how do you what about when it's attached securely how do you get the magnet to release it <laughs> it can be difficult I mean, it, it, a little angle pull will pull it. Yeah. Uh, it it'll come off. Uh, and I wish I thought I was going to talk about it because I actually have one of the magnets out in the other room. Ah, yeah. I the reason I ask is uh, I've used a magnetic rig before, and that one the magnets were so powerful that you could not actually pull it off of the surface uh, of whatever you were attaching to. So it had a lever on the yeah. side. That was uh, gave you a fulcrum point to pry the magnet off, and basically you pulled that, and it raised the magnet up about an uh, inch and a half inside of its chamber. So then you could actually release it from the item. And if you didn't have that, you 
you couldn't get the magnet off. It was that strong. Uh, and I also had an electromagnetic version that was like, a, it almost looked like an iron and, uh, you know, it was that big and right. you, you place it on the surface and then you mounted whatever rig you wanted to it. And then you put a battery on it. And as long as your battery was charged, the electromagnet would <laughs> turn on and attach, but you had to be very careful and cautious about the, uh, magnet itself see that would make me nervous too but so this was it it wasn't one it's not one big magnet it's a whole bunch of little ones so mm. theoretically they're a little easier to pull off when they're smaller so i think that would answer your question what about the drone pavilion completely skipped it to be honest with you really yeah it was i mean that was way bigger i was expecting vr and some of these other things to be a lot more prevalent and it didn't seem like they were but the drone area was massive i mean th that was probably the biggest section uh, well <laughs> minus black magic of course that was the biggest <laughs> section at nab that that i saw and it, it's, well, it's did, did you make it over to the virtual reality thing that was up in the north hall yeah i did and they had a couple of uh of it was like two rows of seats and they would put the helmets on you and move you around and stuff but it, it didn't seem like it was nearly as uh, as important. Like they had a couple of booths that were doing it, but it didn't. It didn't seem like there was a lot of it there. It just sort of seemed like the a couple companies were like, "Hey, check out our virtual reality headsets," you know, and like sit on this cart for a little while. We, uh, you know, bungee these things to your head. It, <laughs> it wasn't really. I don't know. I was expecting a lot more out of it. Well, and I and I think that because it's the first year they've focused on virtual reality that they had they didn't have a place to put it in the central hall which is where they would rather probably put it uh but because they already had booths booked and so they got stuck in the north hall and when you're in the north hall it's kind of like the dead zone yeah so i don't know if they're going to be able to do something about that next year but who did you notice was missing by the way who did i notice was missing you obviously didn't notice. I it. didn't think about it really. One of uh, the largest camera manufacturers on the planet was not there this year. I didn't see. Uh, I guess I didn't see Nikon. That's correct. <laughs> really? But they pulled out weeks before the show. I just assumed that I had missed their booth somewhere. I didn't realize they weren't actually there. No, they weren't actually there. They Holy have, crap! They've, they've basically decided they're not going to do video anymore. So what does that mean for Nikon in the future? Uh, they're the releasing cameras with 4K now in the D500 and uh, their uh, D5. What are they? I mean, isn't that supposed to be like one of the primary features of those two cameras? Um, I actually asked Nikon about this, by the way, and, and I really haven't talked about it much, but their their response was, we are going to continue putting video in our cameras and that was it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they they were not at NAB. Last year they were at NAB and had a very large booth and had a lot of speakers and talked about professional video and making movies with video cameras and DSLRs, and now they're not. So take what you want to from that. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty stunning, actually. I didn't really put two and two together. Yeah, um, I discussed it with a couple of people, and they were like, "Yo, yeah, where are, where is Nikon?" And 
they they just sort of decided that they didn't want to do i i think i don't think they're going to put out any kind of official press release or anything but their lack of participation this year was significant yeah i would actually like to have played around with a, a d500 and gotten a feel for that but uh I didn't see him, and then I didn't really think about it afterwards until you mentioned it. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. You're right, Mitch. You you win this round, Mitch. You win this round. Yay, All right. Me, me. Anything else you want to mention be about any before we get into the actual show? An actual show? Oh, wait. We're here to talk about an actual show? Well, I mean, if you've got some cool stuff from NAB that I missed, I'd love to talk about it. But if you know, That was the big one. Uh, VR is going to be big next couple of years. Those crazy photo or video walls were pretty oh, sweet. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the past, guys, if you haven't paid attention to video wall technology, which probably no one has, uh, it's been very low rent and low resolution. And uh, when they hook the panels together to make like a billboard or something like that, uh, there's a lot of seams. Uh, this year, they were introducing a lot of these kind of uh, clear, transparent seams that go between each of the screens that make it look like it's all one piece, or they would actually go right up to the very edge of each panel as they block them together and they were building you know entire walls with fairly high resolution uh huge you know probably two stories tall and uh uh probably 20 or 30 feet across billboard size walls of video that looked rather good from maybe five to eight feet away yeah they were they got I want one of those on my wall i want a yeah. wall of that the, yeah that would be awesome those were cool well, I'll tell you one other thing before you go into the news. Did okay. you go to the Red Booth? Yes, I did. Do you do you remember Red Booths from the past where they had crazy demonstrations and like live tattoos and stuff? Did you notice they didn't do anything like that this year? Well, they had that little like uh, make a quick red camera video thing going on. But you're right. They didn't do yeah. any. What's that? What else did they have in the booth? They had like 10 little tiny vendors that were co-oping their booths. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. they never done before. So I hmm. thought that significant. Oh, Red is losing market share. Uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously, uh, as its booth gets smaller, Blackmagic just has a little bit more room to oh, absorb. That's <laughs> crazy. And then I stopped by the, the Kenny Raw Confinity booth. And uh, that 5K, 6K camera that they have, I played around with that for a little bit. Man, that is sexy for $5,000. I uh, I was really surprised. They were showing me demonstrations uh, of footage straight out of the camera on their little editing bay that they had in the back. And, uh, you know, it, it looked really good. All the way up to 3200 ISO, the image was really decent. And, I mean, raw files to work with, it, when you have something like that on the market, then the uh, red scarlet starts looking kind of expensive. You know what I mean? Especially yeah. with all the accessories. Speaking of other things about NAB, the, and I know you didn't know this. This is going to be the NAB show again. <laughs> Sorry. Did you see the uh, the folks, the, was it, but the E1, your, your friends? Yep, the E1 Zcam. They had... Uh, a whole wall of cameras that they were, for some reason, uh, that uh, bullet time um, matrix style shooting was really popular this year. There was like seven or eight demonstrations of that. Yeah, there were. Wasn't that strange? Yeah, it caught me off guard. I was like, w w wasn't this a thing back in 2005? 
now yeah. it's a thing again like what what yeah the amount of money it takes to put one of those together with thousands of lenses and thousands of bodies and it's crazy Devin and I were doing the math uh, at one of the booths. It was a bunch of Samsung cameras, of all things, and they were the uh, the NX 500s. And uh, then they had Rokinon lenses on there, and it was like 35 camera bodies. So that's a thousand dollars a piece for each of the camera bodies, plus another five hundred dollars a piece for the lenses. I mean, thirty five hundred dollars just in bodies or excuse me, $35,000 just in bodies, and then another 16000 or so just in lenses to accomplish this uh, bullet time shot at a booth. I mean, that's that's easy pickings if you want to make some money in a robbery. I'm, I'm not saying to do that, but... Uh, no, 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 no. All right, I'll let you go on now. All right. I think <laughs> with that note, it is probably time for the news. Time for the news. the news first thing up is something not from nab and this is an announcement from nvidia if you are into super sexy graphics cards for your editing bay they have announced a doozy the gtx 1080 yes 1080 folks that is a ridiculous name they should have gone to something else but whatever uh, makes you think that this is only capable of 1080p video the GTX 1080 is going to be faster than a Titan X, which is currently their $1,200 offering. The price is expected to be in the $600 range, which is still expensive, but half of the price for double the performance of the Titan X that I currently use. They'll also have a GTX 1070 that will be priced at $399. And if you want some funky donkey coolers to go with your GPUs, you can spend an extra $100 on the GTX 1080 or 1070 and get the special edition model for that extra $100 in value. Now, Mitch, as a Mac user, this is probably the least exciting news <laughs> in the world for you. But weigh in, would you love to have faster GPUs for faster rendering times in your NLE? Um, yes, I, I am so super excited about this incredible 1080. That's a silly name, I agree. When I saw that, I, I, the first thing was like, what? why would you name your GPU? It's just like when uh, they were trying to come up with the first Xbox, like 360. I mean, what are you going to do next, 720? Uh, you know, it's... It, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's no. dumb naming. And I understand NVIDIA has gone through a numbering cycle. You know, they had the 780, and then they have the 880, and then they have the 980. And, you know, they've, that's how they've been progressing. But at 1080, yeah. you should just jump off of that ship and yeah. maybe move your numbers around. Uh, interesting article, though. I, I took five minutes to skim this article that you included from Engadget. And from from a viewpoint of uh two things i guess they call it gaming perfected in their introduction so beyond this there are no improvements can can be made when you say that you perfected something right <laughs> you're done in my opinion so i mean it slays me all the marketing stuff of new enhanced the ultimate you know how many times have you heard the ultimate product well you can't add anything to it if it's the ultimate product, right? Absolutely. Horrible, horrible marketing kinds of words. Gaming perfected, right? So, so you're done. After this, 
gaming is done. <laughs> but the, the other thing that really slays me is that they call this the largest GPU endeavor, the largest chip endeavor, the largest processor endeavor in the human history of humanity. This project took more than two years and several billion dollars. And oh, yeah. I, what? Okay. Uh, uh, is, is, is this where we really need to be spending our money? <laughs> several billion dollars to come up with this product? Well, they, they shrunk the, uh, the die size down using uh, 16 nanometer technology as opposed to, I think, 32 nanometer was previously. And they were having a lot of trouble perfecting that in uh, GPU applications. Plus, I think this uses HMB memory technology, which means that uh, the memory, the eight gigs of memory on this, the chips are actually uh, imposed on top of the GPU itself. So the bandwidth and latency between the memory and the chips is almost nil, and the bandwidth is crazy big. So those two perfections, like people have kind of known about that as an option for increasing GPU performance but uh to actually put it into practice uh, no one's i mean amd had, had done it with a four gig chip but uh nvidia is doing it with an eight gig uh, hmb chip and i might be getting the terminology incorrect folks i apologize in advance for that because it is early in the morning but still double the performance mitch for six hundred dollars and i am a titan user myself that's a twelve or thirteen hundred dollar graphics card I'm a little, uh, I'm not frustrated. I know technology has to advance, but it's like, uh, this seems affordable to me compared to what I've paid in the past. And how often do you say, oh, this is double the thing you had previously? And half, almost half the price. Exactly. Yeah. It's, that part's nuts. Uh, and I agree. The advertising's, it's really wacky in here. They're doing <laughs> some strange stuff. Not sure why that is. Uh, this is... This has been suspected for quite some time. The graphics card is really awesome. I can't wait to get one of these in my system and see what kind of rendering improvements I can take advantage of with this system. Uh, oddly, no AMD announcements about a new Radeon card to compete with this. So uh, NVIDIA slash Intel stands alone in that market, which is unfortunate because that means that we will not have much in the way of competition. I, I'm gonna. Oh, go ahead, Mitch. I was just gonna say, what do you need competition if they've if they've doubled the performance and dropped the price by almost half? Isn't that what normally competition does for you? Well, yes, yes, it does. Of course, it does. <laughs> but that would, I almost would say that uh, that would more reflect on the fact that they were charging extravagant amounts for their okay. previous generation. Of cards, dollars uh, for a card. Come on, yeah, twelve hundred dollars for a card. That's almost the price of a, a fairly decent editing computer by itself, just for the GPU. Yeah. So, ugh, always hurts when I think about how expensive this box is that's sitting next to me right here. Yeah. All right, moving on down the line because GPUs are not that interesting to Mitch. Let's talk about some lenses here. Uh, Canon, and at first I thought, well, wait a minute, didn't they just release a new uh, a 16 to 35 millimeter F2.8 
lens recently. And I'm starting to date myself here because actually the release of the Mark II 16 to 35 millimeter F2.8 was in 2007, apparently, wow. uh, which Mitch, does it seem like it's been that long ago? <laughs> DJ, uh, Planet 5D was born in 2008, end of 2008. So my knowledge and experience about lenses before that is virtually nil. Ah, well, if you follow the wide angle uh, lens in the L series lineup, the original was the 17 to 35 millimeter F2.8, and that was superseded by this guy that I still use to this day, the 16 to 35 millimeter F2.8 original. And uh, then, uh, begrudgingly, they replaced that for me with the. Uh, you know, the, the Mark II, and now they're on the Mark III. Now, the time that the 17 to 35 millimeters spent on the market was pretty su substantial, uh, 10 or 12 years. Uh, the, 60, the original 16 was the same way. It went from like 2000, or no, 1994, 95, all the way to 2007. Mm. And now, uh, this seems, I mean, it's it's been a while. The 2007 is quite some time ago, but that's a, it's a fairly recent refresh rate considering they're moving all of their L-series zooms to uh, Mark IIs. So do you think there's something significantly wrong with the 16 to 35 that they have refreshed it in, I guess, not so fast of a time frame? Well, I, I was wondering because the article uh, from Canada... Hints. Pardon me? It hints at failure, but it doesn't tell you what the failure is. Right, and I was expecting you to have all sorts of information on that because you are the lens guru. Well, I can tell you that the 16-35mm Mark II has a bit of heavy distortion in the corners and the sides wide open, but that doesn't seem like a huge downfall to a wide-angle lens. Right. And otherwise, you know, the lens flare issues, I guess, because it's an 82 millimeter filter thread as opposed to the 77 millimeter filter thread. But that's, I, I thought the lens was fine. <laughs> Solves the most glaring weaknesses of the current version. And, and I'm going to have to flog Craig because I would like to know what those are. <laughs> I know I looked all over too, and I, <laughs> I tested out uh, a Mark II against my Mark One. And there is significant improvements between those two, but I can't imagine what they would be really worried about fixing on the Mark II. So it's just strange. Caught me off guard. I thought maybe you, Mitch, would know <laughs> about it. So I was throwing it at you, and then you threw it back at me. So we'll just uh, kick this one over the fence and move on to some massive storage options. Uh, if you have a phone, if you have a GoPro, if you have any kind of small device, micro SD cards are your life. You want to shove those in, use them up and get the stuff off of them fast. Well, Samsung has superseded what was before the largest uh, micro SD cards out there, which is SanDisk, the 200 gig versions. Uh, they have released a 256 gig card. This has 95 meg writes and 90 meg reads, or excuse me, I'm reversing that 90 meg writes and 95 meg reads. This thing is fast. It is small and it'll set you back around $300, but it is all the memory. Mitch, do you want this for your phone? No, I don't. Uh, I find it interesting that they talk about recording 12 hours of 4K UHD video on this. Yeah. Phone. 
Uh, high compressed, of course. <laughs> Highly compressed. Uh, what kind of camera can write? Well, of course, we're talking about GoPro. phones or GoPros. Okay, so yeah. I think, I believe the GoPro Kodak is like 35 meg. So that would, wouldn't be unreasonable to expect 256 gig to provide you with 12 hours of recording. Uh, I'd have to do the math there. I think, yeah, that, that sounds plausible. I would say more like 10 or 11, but yeah. 33 <laughs> uh, hours of full HD. Now I will say that I do have the 200 gig version in my phone and as this was announced, the 200 gig version from SanDisk dropped down to $76. So there you go. That's a, a fairly expensive tax to go from uh, 200 to 256 gigs worth of storage. Uh, right. But my question here, and the reason I, I threw this card in here, is because we're still seeing phones that only have 32 gigs of storage as like a, a pretty standard number. <laughs> when do you think we're going to start seeing? that number increased because people are, are shooting 4k video they're shooting uh, uh photos in raw now and a lot of cameras they are uh storing their media on there the phone for some younger people that i know has completely replaced their computer as a whole and they try to just get around on their phone what do you think they're going to do with uh, the memory size on these phones mitch i <laughs> i I, you're asking the wrong guy. You need to be talking to the HD, the the phone manufacturers. But it has become very interesting uh, how the market has changed, and everybody's constantly out of space on their phone, which just blows me away when we compare to where we were uh, ten years ago. I mean, you know, the iPhone was only brought out in 2007 so it's coming up on its 10th anniversary which which sounds like a long time ago doesn't it yeah it does that makes me feel old <laughs> uh <laughs> it does make you feel old i'm saying this to mitch yeah <laughs> wise ass um it, it's it just i mean you, you i i know we've talked about it before i remember the uh, buying a, an, a hard drive from a friend of mine that was 70 megabytes he had bought it new and i was buying it used off of him for 700 bucks 70 megabytes on a hard drive for 700 bucks and here we're talking about 256 gig on a little tiny chip it's just amazing it just it's it and and we still everything we do we need more 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 because we're shooting more video we're shooting more photos we're our apps are bigger and it just it's amazing well even from an entertainment standpoint from your devices uh i have audiobooks as well as uh, some movies that i want to catch up on when i'm on the plane and i keep those on my phone and that eats up the internal storage yep. on this guy really fast uh, having that 200 gig card actually gives me a little bit of uh, leeway to store stuff and you know move stuff around. I also will download the photos off of my cameras uh, to my phone and do quick editing and then post those photos. And you know they come over as uh, 16 meg files or so. So I, that's fairly significant when you get a few of those 
uh, dropped onto your phone. It takes up quite a bit of space. I don't understand why this hasn't gotten sort of uh, bigger internal memory. And some of the manufacturers are selling their 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 phones without memory card options, so you can't oh. even upgrade to an S uh, micro SD card and an iPhone. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> Mac lovers. Well, no, and, and Samsung was the same way. The previous version of the uh, uh, Galaxy, I skipped it because there was no memory card slot, and it was freaking huge. I, I don't need a huge device, and I want to put a memory card in there, and my uh, S7 is capable of doing that, so it uh, makes me as an end user a lot happier. Anyway, 256 gig in a tiny space, extremely fast writing speeds. Now, with those sorts of read-write speeds on a card this small, do you think you could just go with micro SD cards as opposed to regular SD cards and then use one of those little adapter hubs uh, for all of your devices? <laughs> well, why not? I'm I don't know. Why, why wouldn't you? Right here. Got one. And for those watching or uh, listening and not watching the video, um, I actually, for several of my devices that don't require extreme writes, I've got these PNY Turbo cards and a little SD to micro SD adapter, and they do work just fine. And the nice thing about that is I can fit this into my SD card protector slots and then carry a couple of these with me. And if I need something for a GoPro or for a uh, E1 Z cam, for example, <laughs> uh, I can take this card out, put it in there, and also store a few other things. So very nice way to carry your media around. I wish the news was more exciting today, but uh, it's really not. We've got another thing out here, oh, and it's this one's uh, exciting. This one's just weird. I, I saw this lens, and I thought I was almost certain Canon was going to kill the EOS M line. I mean, it's been limping along. They haven't really given it much love. Things are not looking good for the EOS M line of cameras. And then out of the blue, here's a new lens. Here's a macro, the macro that no one asked for, but, you know, <laughs> hell, we'll make it anyway. They've added a light on the front of this for illuminating your subject. This is a 28 millimeter macro. So on a EOS M body, that's a 1.6 crop. So you're looking at close to 50-ish as a focal length. Uh, Mitch, this lens is weird. And they also threw in a speed light to go along with this announcement. Can you tell me more? <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't know much about it. Uh, we did publish it yesterday on uh, some website called Planet 5D, but, um, it, it just freaked me out to see the fact that they've put a little mini ring light on the front, which makes sense if you're going to shoot a lot of macro stuff. And the question of course is how many people are shooting macro stuff today? Well, as a photographer, that's probably quite a few. If you're doing it, are you doing it with an EOS M. <laughs> but if, <laughs> if you were a macro photographer, at least to me, I would be still using my bigger body, but maybe people have gone down to the EOS M. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It's a unique twist on a lens that I'd never seen before. Uh, it, and it's, and I think the press release says the first implying that there's going to be more uh more in a series of these kinds of lenses so maybe maybe you and i need to do a little bit more research on what's going on in the market because i'm with you i don't think i necessarily saw this as a major 
requirement in the market. Well, I actually own the almost the entire lineup of EOS M lenses, and here they are, right here. Uh, for those of you listening, there, I'm holding up uh, two lenses. Here's an EOS M body, the 22 millimeter, and I've got the 18 to 55 millimeter, uh, which is your standard kit zoom. Uh, there is uh, a couple more lenses to this lineup now, but for the most part, there isn't a whole lot of selection in this, and they haven't really updated this body in quite some time. There's a couple of new versions out and a few of them are only released in like Japan and uh, China, which is sort of strange. And so I don't know who uses this. I've only seen uh, an EOS M uh, in the wild twice in my lifetime, besides ones that I use. And both of them were being used for video and not at all for any type of photography application. And the reason these are popular for videos because you can pick up an ESM for around $140 right. and in install Magic Lantern on it, get some basic video features that makes it handy, and it's mirrorless so you can adapt it to any lens of any kind that you can think of, which makes it really affordable for beginning photographers, beginning videographers who want to start out uh, on the cheap and then work their way up from there and don't mind shooting 1080p. That's it's for that it's awesome best camera ever but uh for <laughs> macros uh, the autofocus in this sucks it's the worst uh the, the camera you know not that ergonomically friendly it's uh it's uh, really not canon's best work uh, i wouldn't even say it's remotely in the middle of their pack it's, it's well it's down there with the g series which has fallen off a cliff lately <laughs> And that actually rolls nicely into the next story of compact digital cameras cutting the profit forecast for Canon. Mitch, I know I got this from you and you got this from Canon Rumors, so we'll credit everybody in the line. Tell me more about the falling prices or the fall, or falling sales in compact cameras for Canon. The whole thing is is of course something that is fascinating to me to figure out where the market's going and try to see what's what's going on and it all falls into line uh if you if you go back and look at some of the the metrics we get really crazy when we talk about these things uh and i wish i had the chart in front of me i wasn't thinking about being ready for this conversation i apologize but uh i was looking at some market statistics yesterday or the day before and we all talk about the fact that the camera market has dropped significantly since 2012 uh, where there was a peak and if you look over history uh, from like 1970 <laughs> to now the market is massively bigger than it ever was back in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Uh, we had a huge spike in the early 2000s and up through 2012. And now we've come down a little bit. We're settling down, but DSLRs are still selling like crazy. The number one camera on the market is still the 5D Mark III. Uh, I was actually speaking with uh, a rig vendor yesterday and was asking him about what's selling he says well you know the the mirrorless stuff is selling like hotcakes for filmmakers right now 
And he says, it's really kind of funny because a lot of the filmmakers that come into the shop say, well, we're, you know, we're looking for smaller and we really like the mirrorless because it's smaller and lighter. And he says, and then I turn around and I sell them a rig, you know, a cage to go around it. Uh, and then they have to start adding, adding, you know, the accessories and everything else, the, they're shooting with a 200 millimeter lens and that sucker's heavy. And so you're ending up back with the DSLR <laughs> DJs, for those of you watching video, is pointing to his little uh, rig system he's got set up for his, uh, which one is that? Uh, this is the GH4. If you look uh, here, you can see that uh, it's all rigged up and suddenly and it becomes about the size of my... <laughs> 6d when you put all the crud on it, it now you it still up. have to have other accessories right you still have to have the audio accessories it's not like the the mirrorless cameras are are or dslrs are that much better you still have to add accessories to them but he like he said he found it interesting that that mirrorless is the hot topic right now in for filmmakers if you go back and you look at and the article that I did on Planet 5D that you were pointing out is, you know, we, the market still is relatively stable for DSLRs. They're, they're predicting a 7% drop for DSLRs, Canon is, in 2016. Uh, early reports were that there was like a 0% drop. Uh, so you're, you're, if you're watching live, you can see the, the growth rate chart that DJ's got up there. But the compact cameras are falling through the floor. They're going to be down 24%. Uh, and so this 16% total digital camera drop uh, is, it's not insignificant, but uh, we still don't have any kind of a mirrorless rumor from Canon. So Canon still thinks that mirrorless is a relatively small segment. Uh, and as I mentioned, let me ask you a question. Let's go back to NAB, right? Okay. Uh, in terms of people walking around the show floor, what do you, do you see in terms of cameras that they were using? Number one camera I saw at NAB this year was a mirrorless camera. It was the Sony A7S Mark II. I saw so many of those on the showroom floor that people were kind of just like, it was, have you ever watched motorcyclists when they're driving down the, the interstate and they, they kind of do that thing where they wave at each other? Well, the A7S users would just be like, hey, bro, got this one. And then like, you know, walk on. And there were so many of us. And a few people even stopped me like, hey, what, what rig are you running on your A7S? Like, I got mine here, but I'm trying to figure out how to configure this. There's a ton of that conversation going on at NAB. So uh, as far as video goes, the GH4 and the A7S Mark II are probably some of the most popular uh, mirrorless cameras. I didn't see hardly any Canon shooters for video, at least. Did you? Well, see, I, I maybe there's some, you know, have you ever been, Have let's suppose you go out and you buy a new Lexus, right? Or Prius, whatever. Let's say you buy a Prius. Do you see a lot of Prius cars on the on the road when you're suddenly in the market for one? So are you saying this is object fixation? I I saw a lot of Canon cameras. I saw several 
uh, C100, C300 kinds of shooter guys. I saw quite a few people that had just pure video cameras that were shooting stuff. Um, I saw quite a few people shooting with their smartphones. Uh, so I'm, I know you and I know, um, why can't I suddenly think of his name? <laughs> Dave Dugdale. Yeah. Like, oh, I saw tons of mirrorless cameras. And I'm like, okay. I saw mirrorless cameras too, but I don't think it was as overwhelming necessarily from my perspective as everybody else. Now, I didn't see very many people shooting with a Canon DSLR. I saw a couple. Yeah. I will say mirrorless is, was bigger than it ever was before. But you would also say the same thing when the 5D Mark II and 5D Mark III first came out. Those were everywhere. Well, um, and I, I did see people on the showroom floor with 5D Mark III's, uh, but most of them were shooting stills. Uh, and so they were covering products. They were, uh, you know, they had the big white 70 to 200 on their, on their body and they were uh, shooting press release stuff and uh, uh, taking pictures of people before they got on stage and so on. So in that regard, I did see a ton of 5D Mark threes. Uh, the Sony A7S's, I usually saw those uh, rolling around for video, but I, besides the, the compact cameras, I didn't see very many people with the GH4s at all. Right. Uh, so uh, almost no GH4s on the showroom floor, which makes sense because it's not a low light beast. So in that sort of environment, it, it kind of struggles a little bit. Uh, I did see some people that as soon as you went from the A7S, you went to these monstrosity cameras. Uh, people were bringing in a very large decked out Ursa Minis. Yep. People were bringing in, you know, cameras that I would never take to an event like this. And some of those guys, um, you know who you are, a few of you talked to me, uh, were shooting by themselves so they're lugging around a full set of sticks a giant camera and all the accessories uh, you know setting up at a booth and then shooting themselves uh doing you know booth coverage and i can't imagine your back could handle that sort of uh, uh monstrosity as far as mirrored cameras go though you know I didn't run into um, any video shooters on Canon cameras. Now, I did see a couple of people running around with like an XA20 or an XA10, which is the little uh, Canon uh, DV camera, uh, not DV cam, it's a mini camera. It has XLR inputs, but it looks sort of like a consumer handycam style camera. And uh, that was fairly common, uh, but... I think I saw way more Sony A7S shooters and maybe it was because I have one with me, yeah. but, uh, I don't know. That's kind of what I was running into. And I, I like to check out gear. So yeah. I was paying attention to what everybody was shooting on. Well, and, and, and I think what I would really love to see, and I don't think we're ever going to necessarily see it from the manufacturers. If you like, you know, for this article, I started diving into, uh, you know, profit reports and, and the kind of things that those guys put out. And they don't ever really break things down into the kind of details we would like to see. I firmly believe that video shooters are going more to mirrorless than still photographers are. I think, oh, yeah. you know, because the overall market still is about 10% of small form bodies being mirrorless 
Yeah, and actually, I've got a chart right here, Mitch, so we can we can use a, a infographic to figure things out. See these little red marks here in the in the the chart. These are the mirrorless sales. Uh, the orange on top or yellowish color is smartphone sales, and then our green down here, which is a much bigger band, are DSLR sales, and the blue is compact. And you can see compact. Uh, between 2001 and about 2011 really ramped up and DSLR sales sort of remained somewhat consistent throughout that time and you can see that the compact cameras start to ramp down smart yeah. as smartphones take over now the other thing to think about with these uh, smartphones versus compacts and compacts in general is in the last i don't know i would say since 2000 and maybe 12 to today uh, compact cameras haven't substantially improved in, in most parts of the market. Uh, you look at the Canon G series and since the, probably the G 14 or so forward or G 12 forward, uh, they haven't really done much in terms of performance gains to make people sell off their old compact cameras. <laughs> and, and I think that some of the DSLR users would say the same thing, right? Exactly. I mean, uh, if you're shooting on a 5D Mark III and you're a photographer, uh, tomorrow or at Photokino when they release the 5D Mark IV, uh, do you really need it? I mean, the, the 5D Mark III does great. If you're a, a 1D shooter that has a 1D Mark IV, uh, that was a really decent camera. Did you need the X? Did you need to move on from there? I mean, even I know people that are still shooting on, on 1D Mark IIs that are just fine with that the yeah. the image quality is what they needed they continue to use it as a professional it works great uh, if you're not doing some thing that involves the new feature what's driving you forward to sell your camera and get another one i i really enjoyed the conversation i had yesterday and i might as well just tell you it was a uh, guy from defocus um cha-ching uh fascinating he likened it to uh photography and in Many filmmakers are like golfers. Golfers, somebody comes out with a new golf club that, that claims to give you 15 more yards on your drive, and you're out there buying that sucker. <laughs> you're like lusting for it. And you don't know whether it's going to really give you 15 more yards or not, but you know it sounds sexy, and so they're out there buying it. There's a vast hunk of the market, which you have just talked about, that is just perfectly happy with their existing gear. Uh, they maybe are investing in lenses, which is where you and I both talk about constantly. That's where you ought to be investing your money. Absolutely. Uh, and not really going for the latest camera on the market. Um, you know, it, do you, does, if, if, if Canon came out with a DSLR that does 15 uh, levels of dynamic range, it sounds sexy, but do you really, really need it? I, no. I mean, how often do you really, really have to have that extra one or two stops of dynamic range? Well, honestly, your final production is going to be limited by uh, seven or nine standards. So exactly. if you're missing out on a few stops here or there, like it, it's probably not the, the biggest issue in the near term. I mean, maybe 20 years from now when they remaster your your work, if your work is worthy of remastering, they'll be, oh man, if only he had a shot on the 5D Mark 10, he could have gotten all the dynamic range in the world. But uh, yeah. yeah, and 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 as 
uh, was mentioned yesterday in the conversation. Uh, a lot of people are going mirrorless because they want 4K because the DSLRs aren't shooting 4K, right? Yep. And and they want to save some money theoretically because you can get a Sony or a Panasonic for less than a Canon, right? Yeah. And I said, so okay, so you're turning around and shooting 4K because that's what you think you want. And then, of course, what you're doing is down-resing it to 1080 to send it out, right? Because nobody else is delivering 4K in many, many cases. But they're trying to save money because they want that 4K. But yet, what are you doing? You're getting bigger hard drives, more computer power. And so you think you're saving money, right? But you're not because you've got to invest in all these other things. And it takes you longer, more render time, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, sometimes we get so wrapped up in the initial specs, we don't think about all the other things that have to go into the filmmaking process. And it's just not the price of the body that's important. Well, I wouldn't disagree with that, but uh, uh, part of it, as far as, as hard drive space and some of the other components go, uh, I don't know. I, I continue that upgrade cycle regardless of camera body that I'm, I'm working on. Um, I always continually need more storage. Uh, it doesn't matter what camera I'm ingesting footage from. The When I shot on the 5D Mark III, I shot a feature uh, last year. Uh, we brought in about one terabyte worth of video footage from the 5D uh, Mark III. And uh, the Kodak difference is only, it's barely double for 1080 or for 4k so that's only two terabytes it's not for me as, as a storage option that's not even very significant i mean i'm sitting right here and i can actually cut to this camera so you guys can see it i have a four by four uh terabyte array just sitting right here on my desk you know uh just for regular storage and that's not including my system storage, which is another four by four array. And then the server downstairs, which is a six by eight array. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't know for me, that's, I would be doing that no matter what type of camera I'm filming on. Okay. Um, but as, as far as the bodies go, I, I would say that a Panasonic GH4 is a joy to film on. Uh, the camera is easy to get around in. It's easy to operate. It, it's it's very intuitive, and you shoot on the 5D Mark III, and it's I would say very much less so intuitive as far as video is concerned. So uh, that portion plus you mentioned size, and that actually is my thing. Now I know we kit out all these cameras and put you know tons of uh, gear on them, audio mounts, everything else that you can think of, but Think about the size of the freaking lenses. And I've got my, turn it around here so if the audio gets a little weird. Uh, I've got my GH4 right here. Now look at this. This is an 8 millimeter F1.8 lens. And I'm F1.8 doesn't mean the same thing in terms of micro four thirds as it does on a full frame. But look at how tiny this is. Now look at this. <laughs> look at that. And I mean this right here. This is the, the one example I always show people when they're like, well, uh, you know, you're going to just make it bigger. Well, that's true. This is a 40 to 150 millimeter zoom lens, which would be equivalent to an 80 to 300 on a full frame body. And this is smaller than my 
uh, 6D with the wide angle 16 to 35 millimeter uh, lens on it. So that is significant for travel uh, video and photography. That is significant for people that are out there uh, where they want to super zoom and they want to take pictures at sporting events or of animals or something like that. And also for video. So uh, to me, the small part is not the body. The small part is the freaking lens. The lenses are so, so cute, so tiny. I mean, when I can fit four primes in the same space as I can fit a single 50 millimeter F12, that gives me a ton of options and it doesn't hurt my back. <laughs> right? I mean, maybe. But, but they're not as good quality. They must not be. Uh, okay. So you're. <laughs> No, that's not true. <laughs> that is not true at all. The lenses are of excellent quality. You just are not getting uh, all the shallow depth of field out of these. So we're talking like f1.4 on a 50 millimeter equivalent, which uh, on micro four thirds that works out to something like and maybe an f2.8. So you're, you are losing shallow depth of field, but at the same time, if you're a filmmaker, uh, a lot of times it's impractical to shoot a F1.4 wide open on a full frame body. Anyhow, an F2.8 or F4 is probably very acceptable. Um, I don't know. I, I would tell you, Mitch, that the size is not the body. The size is the barrel. <laughs> I, I mean, I was trying to think of a good joke to go along with that, but I, I got I got nothing. So uh, I don't know. Do you, what do you think? Is that is that a fair argument or am I – Am I just wrapped up in my own technology because I own a lot of this kit? <laughs> Whatever Prius you happen to be currently interested in, uh, you have a lot of very valid points. Um, and, it, and it sort of comes down to personal preference in many situations. I don't mind lugging around uh, a large body and a large lens but I don't shoot as much as you do. So it doesn't impact me as much. I don't travel with that kind of gear and I don't have to put it on airplanes or pack cars and that kind of stuff. So in my particular environment, I like a big body. I don't like tiny little bodies that my hands can't deal with very well. Um, and so I, size does make a big difference. And, and it's a lot of it is personal preference and it, you have very valid points. I've talked, I've spoken with a lot of people who get very tired of lugging around heavy bodies and heavy lenses. Well, and for me, the more, and I, everybody does this. I'm not the only one you, you pack for a job and you're like, Ooh, I might, I could think of a reason to use this. I could think of a reason to use this. Uh -huh. I could think of a reason to use this. And pretty soon you've packed an entire set of primes and a couple of zooms in your kit and when you do that with a cannon body, now your Tamarack bag that you're carrying around with you weighs like 40 pounds. It's, yeah. it's a very significant amount. But with Micro Four Thirds, I can get a little wacky and be like, well, you know, there might be a situation where I need a 150 millimeter F1.8 equivalent uh, to shoot something. So I'm just going to throw this in there. And what does that add? It adds ounces instead of pounds. <laughs> and so for me as a shooter, like, and I'm, I'm learning – as I get older to scale back uh, significantly and not overpack and really plan out what I bring with me because traveling is a pain. Uh, but at the same time, 
anytime I can reduce my weight, especially on a plane, uh, the difference between checking your bags and a carry-on is significant because your carry-on, you know where it's at. Yep. And that's a lot of value in a single bag. Uh, you know, a checked bag, you don't know what they're doing with it. You don't know how they're treating it. You don't know if it's going to make it out okay on the other end. You don't know if you're going to have a little sticker in there that says, hey, guess what, guys? We searched your stuff. And uh, I don't know what happened to that 50 millimeter one, two. It, it wasn't in there when we opened it. So it's not there anymore, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that always makes me extremely nervous. So I always, I'll check my clothing, but I'll carry my camera bag <laughs> with me. And because of that, I have always tried to travel as light as possible. And 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 now with the the A7S Mark II, the lenses, again, they're fly-by-wire, which is sort of crappy, but they're significantly lighter than my L-Glass. Are they as good as my L-Glass? I would argue no. No, they're not. And if my L-Glass were uh, light as a feather, I would carry it with me everywhere. I'd strap it to my forehead and just walk around with it. Like, look at my L-Glass. I got a red ring right here. But uh, uh, until that happens, you know, I have to pick and choose the times and the places when I can uh, dig into my Canon kit. And again, not bashing on full-frame Canon cameras because, I, I mean, I held one up right here. I have yet to get rid of my Canon glass. I have held on to it 100% because I love my Canon glass. I love it. It's great. It's beautiful. All of it's an awesome investment, and I just want the body that does the stuff that I need. And until then, I use it for stills because it's great for stills. I keep my 6D body, and I shoot stills with it. Uh, do I shoot stills with my A7S Mark II? Not really. Uh, it does okay, but it's not that good. It's not as good as my 6D. Uh, in terms of low light, yes, whatever. Who cares? That's not a thing for me. Uh, the GH4, it does a great job stills. Um, and in fact, if I'm not shooting in any low light situations, the 11 frames per second is amazing for shooting stills uh, it, and 16 megapixels. I mean, that's enough pixels for probably 95% of the applications that you're going to shoot stills for. So it, it's a great camera, but 1600 ISO, like I've gotten past that and I want low light. So back to the 6D again. And as soon as Canon releases uh, a 5D Mark IV that meets my video and photography needs, I will probably wipe out my collection of uh, other cameras and move back into my Canon camp. Uh, and is that me chasing the next good golf swing? I would like to say no, but maybe Mitch, you're right. Maybe it's just like, Oh, here's a pretty shiny. I want to put this you know, next to me so I can wear it everywhere. Uh, it's, it's possible. I don't know. Yep. All right. On that note, we've gotten out of control here. Mitch, you got anything to add to this before we get out of here? I got one thing to say. Uh, as you did, oh, I talked to quite a few people at NAB, um, loved meeting every one of you guys. Several of you mentioned the fact that you listen to this podcast, and we certainly appreciate that. One of the guys said to me, the reason I listen to you guys is because you guys are real. You tell the truth. And I think that conversation we just had points that out perfectly. Thank you very much for what you do, DJ. Love the show, love being on the show, appreciate talking to you, being able to vent and talk about the things that we talk about. And thanks to all of you listeners and watchers out there. Please make sure to rate the show, tell your friends, and love you guys. You guys send uh, send Mitch a tweet and thank him for coming back on the show after a month of being away because it's, it's great to have these arguments slash discussions uh, every week. It actually keeps me fresh too. So thanks guys for listening, for watching. And make sure you subscribe, review, tweet, whatever the internet things you do these days with the kids and the buttons and the stuff. Uh, and we'll see you next time 
on another episode of TSLR Film Noob Podcast. <laughs>